Good morning, good morning. All right, good morning. Hey, if you're visiting us for the very first time, my name is Tim. It's my privilege to help us enjoy God's Word as part of our worship this morning. Before we get there, though, great to have Brandon back on the platform, huh? Yeah, we didn't miss a beat last week with Clint kind of stepping in in emergencies, but it's sure good to see Brandon back amongst the land of the living. Uh, He had a pretty rugged week, but... uh, um, getting that kind of squared away, and uh, Lord willing, we'll have the surgery to address the kidney stone uh, challenge that he's facing uh, sometime in the first week of October, I think, is the plan. So we got to get him to that spot, and uh, little by little, he's, uh, he's coming out of the pain mode, and, and we're just so grateful for uh, the gift of him back to us as well. Well, church family, let's, uh, let's take our Bibles and uh, turn to the book of Galatians this morning, what a surprise, huh? Galatians chapter 5. Today, if you uh, need a Bible, raise your hand. We keep some in the back just in case you got out of the house without yours. There's a little note page in your bulletin. If you don't know the drill here at IBC, grab this out of, the, out of your bulletin. It will just help you um, uh, to follow along as we, we move through. And Can I just ask a favor? If uh, you haven't silenced your cell phone, would you please do that? That would be a help, and, and then it won't be a distraction along the way. So have you, have you ever heard of the Cowboy Code? You ever heard about the Cowboy Code? I had never heard about this. I didn't know it existed. But I recently ran on to it. Uh, so let me share with you some sage cowboy advice that comes from the code. And this is just a portion of a much longer uh, document. But here's some of the Cowboy Code. Letting the cat out of the bag is a whole lot easier than putting it back in. And we would say, I agree with that. If you're riding ahead of the herd, take a look back every now and then. Make sure they're still following you. Here's a good one. Never kick a cow chip on a hot day. (laughs) If you find yourself in a hole, the first thing to do is stop digging. Yeah? Always drink upstream from the herd. Good idea. The quickest way to double your money is to fold it over and put it back in your pocket. Life is is not about how fast you run or how high you climb, but how well you bounce. And I'm assuming that that was a bull rider that uh, came up with that one. Never miss a good chance to shut up. (laughs) Life is simpler when you plow around the stump. A bee is faster than a John Deere tractor. (laughs) Don't interfere with something that ain't bothering you none. Don't name a cow you plan to eat. Good judgment comes from experience, and a lot of that comes from bad judgment. (laughs) And here's the last one. Don't squat with your spurs on. Yeah, all right. The cowboy code. Well, church family, you know from our study of the letter of Galatians together that Paul wrote this letter to some brand new Christians who were being told by a group of first century false teachers that they needed to follow not the cowboy code, but what we've come to call the mosaic code or the code of Moses the law of Moses. And you had to do that if you had any hope whatsoever of being saved, loved by God, accepted by him, and going to heaven to be with him. These false teachers called Judaizers were telling the Galatian Christians that in addition to trusting Jesus as their savior, they also had to follow the code, the Mosaic law with its commands and its traditions and customs and practices. And only then, the Judaizers said, would you Galatians really be able to have a personal relationship with God, know what it means to have forgiveness of your sin, and be anticipating a life forever with God in heaven? The Apostle Paul, who was the first to introduce the Galatians to the true gospel, which is Salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus alone. What we've come to call um, the uh, Jesus plus nothing, right? There it is. It's waiting for us. The Jesus plus nothing equals everything gospel, right? Yeah. 
Paul writes this letter to, to defend that truth. Jesus plus nothing else equals everything that matters in your life. And we say amen to that. And so he writes the letter to defend and protect these baby Christians from this terribly dangerous lie of these false teachers. In chapter 2, verse 21, which we looked at some time ago, Paul writes, If righteousness were through the law, if a right standing before holy God came to us by being good rule keepers, good keepers of the code, of the law, then we nullify the grace of God and Jesus died for nothing since we actually earn our way into God's acceptance. But, you know, that can never happen, can it? That can never happen since we all have a sin nature that makes it impossible for us to perfectly keep God's law, perfectly keep his code. If it's up to us we're, to, to, to make that happen, man, we're doomed. We're done. We're destined to an eternal separation from God in a place the Bible calls hell. To add anything to Jesus, what he did on the cross when he died for us, took our place and rose again from the dead, victorious over the grave. To add anything to Jesus is to take away from Jesus. Yes? Yeah. And that's the message of the book of Galatians. So after offering up now four chapters of proof upon proof for why keeping the code can't save you, only faith in Jesus can do that, Paul says to his Galatian friends in verse 1 of chapter 5, For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Never place yourself again, my Galatian friends, into any belief system that relies on your performance in order for it to work. It's, a, it's, a, it's an enslaving dead end. It's not liberation, it's legalism. It's not liberty, it's slavery. And God is not impressed and he's not looking for that. And besides, you can't pull it off anyway. You are free. In Jesus, to love him and to live for him because he loved you first and he died for you. In verse 13 of chapter 5, he repeats this wonderful truth again. For you were called to freedom, brothers. But then he adds this. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. So Paul says, don't give in to law-driven legalism, but at the same time, don't go the other direction and live in, 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 in just go into lawless living. Life without any care for what God cares about. Don't go there either. Uh, just because God has accepted you through faith in Jesus and, and he's paid your sin debt for you doesn't mean you just go out and live however you want to live and forget what God says because you're forgiven and free and all that. Paul says that doesn't work. That's not part of it. You can't abuse God's grace and live for yourself. Sin like there's no tomorrow. No way. The, the way to freedom, the way to the true gospel is, is the way of love. Love God, love others, love the things that Jesus loves. And so how do we do that? How do we, how do we live free and love well in this thing called doing life with Jesus? How do we do that? Well, that's the question that Paul would like to answer for us this morning. Verses 16 to 25 of chapter 5. We're going to wrap up chapter 5 pretty much here today. There's one verse on the end, but it really belongs in chapter 6. So for all intents and purposes, we wrap up chapter 5, and that leaves us with two mornings left to be in the book of Galatians, and then we'll be done with this series. Follow along in your Bible as I read from mine. Verse 16. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the spirit, you're not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, 
envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. And so as we take on this passage together, church family, let's invite the Holy Spirit. He's the one who wrote this, right? Uh, he He inspired Paul, his servant, to write this letter. So who better than him to ask to bring these words to life for us and help us to practically apply them and live them out? Amen? Amen. Holy Spirit, please do that. The opening phrase of verse 16 and the closing phrase of verse 25 pretty much sum up this whole passage. They kind of sandwich this passage together. Uh, Walk in the Spirit, verse 16. Walk by the Spirit and keep in step with the Spirit in verse 25. Everything is sandwiched in between those. Walk by the Spirit, keep in step with the Spirit. And not to insult any of your intelligence here, but who is this Spirit? It's the Holy Spirit, right? That's who's being referred to, the third person of the Trinity, whom the Bible tells us God gives to us to come live inside of us the moment that we place our full faith and trust in Jesus, Jesus plus nothing else. At that moment in time, when that happened in your life, God gave you his Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, not to kind of just hover around you or be near you, but to do what? To live inside of you. It's a miracle. It's an incredible, uh, uh, impossible to fully explain Miracle. Chapter 4, verse 6 of this same book that we're sharing together, we read and studied this verse. Because we're sons of God by faith in Jesus, God has sent his Holy Spirit to live where? In our hearts. God never asks us, church family, to, to live the Christian life in our own strength or by our own clever skill and power. He himself comes to live in us and then supplies what we need to live the life that he wants us to live. And that's good to know, isn't it? It's not up to us. In fact, check this out. It's one of my all-time favorite passages of Scripture. And the truth of it just blows me away. If you don't know this, these two verses, Second Peter chapter 1, verses 3 and 4, you really want to hang out, maybe in your quiet time this week. Here's what Peter writes under the inspiration of God's Spirit. God's divine power has given us almost everything we need. No. Has given us everything we need for life and godliness, for doing the Christian life really well. Through our knowledge of him, that's referring to salvation through faith in Jesus, who called us by his own glory and goodness. In other words, we're saved because of God. We're not saved because of anything we've done. God wanted us. He loved us. He sent us his own son. He lavished his goodness on us in Jesus apart from rule keeping or or keeping the code. Through these, verse 4, he has given us his very great and precious promises, the promises of of forgiveness of sin, the promise of life uh, in Jesus, the promise of heaven, so that through these promises we may participate or become partakers of the divine nature. And who is that referring to? That's referring to the Holy Spirit, isn't it? Partakers of the divine nature. That's the Holy Spirit who now lives in us by faith and shares God's and Jesus' divine nature with us so that we escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. It's absolutely incredible, the truth being conveyed in these two verses. Now, here in Galatians 5, Paul, seven times in ten verses, refers to the Holy Spirit, the one whom God has given to us to do the Christian life. One time in verse 16, and twice in verse 17, another time in 18, another time in 22, twice in verse 25, we read the Holy Spirit's name. Now, fellow Christian, I know you know this, but sadly, we often, all of us, 
who are doing life in Jesus unintentionally forget just how critical the role of the Holy Spirit is in our lives. We forget him. Do you forget him? I forget him. In our folly, the Spirit is oftentimes the forgotten member of the Trinity. And so consequently, we too often do not avail ourselves of the Holy Spirit and all that he wants to supply so that we can really live free and love God and others well. We fail to draw upon him. We have divine power, Second Peter one told us God power in the person of the Holy Spirit that enables us to live out this Christian life really, really well for God's glory and reflect Jesus' character as we do so. Now, in this section of Paul's letter, he gives us four major directives, not suggestions, but directives. You see them there on your note page. Walk by the Spirit, be led by the Spirit, Live by the Spirit and keep in step with the Spirit. Do you think there's something that we're supposed to take away from this passage? Yeah, what is it? It's the Spirit of God, right? Drawing upon Him in your life. If we quickly take each one of these in turn, the first is in verse 16. Walk by the Spirit. Now, the word picture of walking is one that we come on to many times as we read our Bibles. We're instructed, for example, to walk in the truth, to, to walk after His commandments, to walk in the light, to walk in wisdom, to walk as children of light, to walk in faith, to walk in newness of life, and, and there are many, many others beyond that. Walk is Paul's word to describe you and me doing Life in Jesus. Walk. But doing it in a specifically defined, consistent, ongoing, habitual way. And what is the way? Walk. Say it. By the Spirit of God. By the Holy Spirit. In fact, in the original Greek text that Paul wrote this letter in, the words by the Spirit actually come before the word walk. It doesn't show up that way in our English versions but that's how it's rendered in Greek. Paul, Paul does this to place the emphasis upon how we do the walk. So if, if at the start of verse 16, if you were reading this in the Greek, you would be saying, by the Spirit, walk. Only this verb walk is also in a present active imperative form, meaning it's a command, it's not a suggestion, and it's ongoing action. And so really the full flavor of it is this. By the Holy Spirit, keep on walking. Do not stop. By the Holy Spirit, keep on walking. How do we live free? How do we love well? By the Holy Spirit, keep on walking. Be under the constant moment-by-moment direction, control, and guidance of the Spirit of God living in you. In verse 18, we see something similar. By the Spirit, again, Paul puts that in front, In the original text, by the Spirit be led. But the word that Paul puts, uh, but then Paul puts this word led, which is um, in its Greek form is really a strong, powerful word. He puts it in what's called the passive mood. And that's to emphasize that that we're to follow. The the Holy Spirit is the one who is really doing the leading here. He leads us not like, like little children who are, playing follow the leader and they're going out to recess and going la, 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 la. Not that kind of following, right? No, you want to picture here with this word led uh, in this form, picture five huge locomotives pulling a a mile-long train of fully loaded freight cars. And the Holy Spirit is the five locomotives. That's what you want to picture here. He's the infinitely powerful source and force and energy that is available to lead us the whole of our Christian life. We want to be led like that by locomotives pulling that train. In verse 25, Paul says, if we live by the Spirit, right now, any of us who have trusted Jesus, do we live by the Spirit? Do we? Yeah? You think so? Yeah, we do. It's the only way we've been made spiritually alive is by the Spirit of God. Did you know that? 
Yeah, he has applied the results of Jesus' death and resurrection directly to us, and so we couldn't live without the activity of the Holy Spirit, applying the life of Jesus to us. And then at the same time, in the same verse, 25, since we live by this Spirit, by the Holy Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. One more time, the word Spirit is placed first in the Greek text, With the Spirit, let us keep in step. And here Paul doesn't use the same word that he used in verse 16, the word that we translated walk there. He uses a different word. Your Bible might actually translate verse 25 using the word walk, but it's not the the same word. He actually uses a military term here to fall in line with, to get in formation with, to march with. And so the Holy Spirit lays down the pattern for how we live and how we are to follow him, stay in step with him as he leads. Four directives. Walk in, or walk in, be led by, uh, live by, and keep in step with the Holy Spirit. And if we do that, verse 16 makes this promise. You will not gratify, fulfill, carry out, complete the desires of the what? Of the flesh. That's the promise. Seek to be under the constant moment-by-moment direction, control, and guidance of the Holy Spirit living inside of you, looking exclusively to the Holy Spirit for your direction, and we will have everything that we need to live the Christian life. To live it in freedom, chapter 5, verse 1. To live it with love for God and love for others, chapter 5, verse 14. This is God's personal promise to us, fellow Christian. This is his promise. That if we will walk by the Spirit, we will not gratify, what? The desires of the flesh. We will not. You know, when God makes a promise, he keeps the promise. And we've been learning that week after week after week through our study of Galatians. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Now, understanding the word flesh here, verse 16, verse 17, again in verse 24, is is obviously going to be critical. Occasionally in our Bibles, this word refers simply to our physical bodies. But that's not how it's being used here. Here, Paul uses it in a figurative sense, a spiritual or theological sense to refer to that old fallen sin nature that you were born with, that I was born with. Everybody in this room can identify because we all possess a sin nature. Yes? Anybody who doesn't? Good. We're all here together then. And as he writes these baby um, Christians in Galatia, and as he writes us who have been redeemed by Jesus, and Robin reminded of that around the communion table a moment ago, um, the flesh is that part of our fallen sin nature that though uh, it was delivered a death blow by Jesus at the cross the moment we trusted in him, that sin nature, that fleshy part of us still clings to our now redeemed soul. It fights for breath. It seeks to express itself in whatever way it can. And so when we determine to love Jesus by faith, we, we, we don't instantly become perfect, do we? We don't. I mean, I didn't, and I, don't, I know you didn't either. No more sin, no more temptation, no more uh, battles in that realm, no. No, our old sin nature refuses to give up and to go quietly. It will one day be killed forever, but not on this side of heaven. And so Paul says to us honestly that faith in Jesus means war. That's what it means. If we're going to embrace Jesus plus nothing as the way of life that we're going to live, well, then we just need to know there's going to be war. Verse 17, for the desires of the flesh are against the spirit and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. There is a 100% complete diametric opposition that exists between the flesh and the Holy Spirit. There is no other way to say it. The flesh hates what the Holy Spirit loves. 
And the Holy Spirit hates what the sin nature loves to do. To say it another way, there is, there is no rivalry, there is no hostility, no war that has ever existed between two nations that even remotely compares with the enmity and the opposition and the hatred that in this moment exists between our flesh and the Holy Spirit living inside of us. We need to get that. And there's no hope for reconciliation between our flesh and the Holy Spirit. There's no, there's no chance of mutual tolerance. There's, there's no negotiated peace that's ever going to come. And this battle, this war between these two is going on inside of you, inside of me, right this minute. Verse 17 is really saying the Christian life is no game. It is war. The Apostle Peter would certainly affirm that. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11. Dear friends, I urge you as aliens and strangers in the world, you follow Jesus. You're not part of this world anymore. I urge you to abstain from sinful desires, which what? War against your soul. The, the Bible has no category called casual Christianity. It just doesn't, does it? That doesn't exist. When you follow Jesus, you need to know and you need to be told if you haven't followed him yet and you're considering following him, you need to be told that when you follow Jesus, you step onto a battlefield because that's the reality. And Paul will actually write about this war in his own life. If you wouldn't mind, keep a finger tucked here in Galatians 5. We're coming right back. But would you run to the left in your Bible all the way to chapter 7 of Romans? You don't have to go super far. But Romans chapter 7, and would you find verse 18? And as we come on to this moment, as Paul's writing these Christians, he says he's going to write to us as now a devoted follower of Jesus, one who's been redeemed. He's a passionate lover of his Savior. And he openly acknowledges this war between his flesh and the Holy Spirit who lives within him. We can all relate to this. Verse 18. For I know that nothing good dwells in me. That is in my what? My flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do what I, the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. And we can all go, mm. yeah. Now, if I do what I do not want, it's no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. Verse 21 so I find it to be a law or a principle that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members or in my flesh another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my flesh." Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? And what's the answer? It's Jesus, isn't it? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, with my heart, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. Does that describe us? From time to time, you bet it does. Paul is saying that in his life, there are bullets flying. There are grenades being launched. Attacks are happening. The battle is going on in his life. What are we to do? Brother, sister, what are we to do? This is what every believer wants to know. How do I do this battle, this war? How can I deal with these, these opposed to my God desires that that remain in me, my flesh, though by God's grace and the cross of Jesus, they're not what they used to be, they're still there. What's the answer to that? How, how do we do this thing called the war? Well, the answer is walk by the Spirit, be led by the Spirit, live by the Spirit, and keep in step with the Spirit. And you will not gratify the desires of the flesh, the promise. And just to draw the battle lines even more sharply, Paul is led to define the outworkings of a life that's not Holy Spirit-led, but is flesh-directed. If you flip your note page over, 
So what are just some of the works of the flesh, since we know this cannot be an exhaustive list? <laughs> what actions and attitudes will my old sin nature seek to express if, I, if it's left uh, unchecked? Well, Paul supplies 15 different ways that my flesh might reveal itself here. Verses 19 to 21. We don't need to work through each one of these one by one and kind of take them apart. Aren't you glad that, that we don't have to do that? I'm really glad we don't have to do that. But he himself says, and he says here, now the works of the flesh are evident. We don't need a, a sermon on this. We know what these things are all about. But, but let's, let's do note that these, these 15 can be broken down into what I guess we could call four major categories or groupings. There's sexually driven sin. He refers to that, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality. Secondly, there's, there's false religion rebellion, uh, idolatry and sorcery. That would be any inclination to look for God in places other than Jesus. Then there's this, this, this group of relational sins, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, and envy. Things that have to do with, with, with when we're sharing life together, these sins can emerge out of that. And then number four, out-of-control living, drunkenness and orgies, sin that moves in, in out-of-bounds behavior. We would use the word today probably addictions of various kinds where the ability to restrain or hold back that, that fleshly desire is, is gone. And just to ensure that nothing is left out, Paul adds, and things like these. <laughs> right? <laughs> oh, and things like these. Yeah. The works of the flesh, Paul says, they are plain to see and everybody knows about them and has firsthand experience at least with some of them. And then he makes this rather troubling statement at the end of verse 21. I warn you, as I warned you before, when I was with you face to face, well, I'm warning you again that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. What a sobering word this is. It's not to be blown off. Whether we're on fire lovers of Jesus or we're still not sure where Jesus might fit in our life in this moment, Paul says, I warn you, which means don't blow this off. Now, if, if you're with us today and you are currently struggling, I mean, you're really battling with maybe one or more of these areas and, and, and you don't want to, you, you've experienced the damage and the destruction that results from going in these directions and you've tried to break free, but you can't, it may be that you can't because you have never truly given your life to Jesus. That is a real possibility this morning. For some, perhaps someone in here, in the room. You've never honestly brought your sin to him and, and admitted to, to God that you can't save yourself. And, and, and you've, you've never said to him, I need Jesus to, to, to pay the sin debt in my life. And I, 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 I need to invite him to come and take control over my life by his spirit. You've never done that. Well, I would just tell you that without the Holy Spirit, you will never overcome any of the things that Paul mentions here or a host of others that he doesn't mention. Because without faith in Jesus, the Holy Spirit's indwelling presence doesn't reside within you. And so you start with that. And so this morning, if, if, if this is where you are and you're saying, man, I need Jesus in my life, then right this moment, you can ask him to come into your life. And he will come. And he will set you free. And you will begin to realize a power over these things in your life that you did not have before. And if that's something you would do this morning, don't leave today without telling somebody that you, you've made that decision because we can help you. We can truly help you grow in your relationship with Jesus. But maybe others of us are saying, you know, I love Jesus. I've been following him in faith for a long, long time. Yet there are times in my life when I give in to my flesh and I deal with jealousy and I cave into envy and I, I move in a direction of impurity and I get angry. And so what about me? Is Paul saying that I won't inherit God's kingdom if I do those things? I won't have eternal life. Am I not a Christian anymore? Is that what he's saying? 
No, he's not saying that at all. Paul's own admission in Romans chapter 7 of the war that he fights within his own flesh would, would uh, uh, confirm that. But check out with me 1 John chapter 3, verses 7, 8, and 9. This will settle the Christian's heart on this matter, I think. It'll settle our hearts. We'll put up on the screen John's writing to Christians. So that's important for you to note. And, and through John, the Holy Spirit says this, Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. Whoever makes a what? A practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a what? A practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him. And he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. What is the key thought that John wants us to take away from this passage? It's practice, right? It's that. It's practice. Everything centers on that word. Whoever makes a practice of rebelling against the will of God, satisfying the flesh as an ongoing pattern and willful desire in their life, does not belong to God and never has. Whoever makes a practice of pursuing righteousness, what God loves, what Jesus desires, is of God. If we are his by faith, we cannot keep on sinning. Why? Because the Holy Spirit lives in us, and he will not let that happen. In fact, because we care about not doing the works of the flesh, and we fight, and we flee, and sometimes we fall, and then we get up, and we repent, and we confess, and then we fight, and we fall, and we get up, and we confess, and we repent. What is that a proof of? It's a proof of the war, isn't it? It's proof that we are in the war. We are inheritors of the kingdom of God or there wouldn't be a battle, right? The Holy Spirit is in us, warring against our flesh and that provides evidence. It confirms that we belong to Jesus. The Holy Spirit is unrelentingly confronting our flesh as we walk by and are led by and live in and keep in step with the Spirit. But he's doing much more than just confronting those fleshy works. He's countering them and replacing them with the character of Jesus. And that's what Paul wants to talk about next. The fruit of the Spirit. Not just confronting, but countering and replacing. The fruit of the Spirit. Paul calls these the fruit. Singular, doesn't he? Not the fruits. Sometimes we hear that. It's the fruit of the Spirit because he recognizes that all uh, aspects of uh, all these, these, these nine things that he's going to talk about, all of these are part of a unified whole and they all come from the same person. They all come from the Spirit of God. It's the fruit of the Spirit. It's not Tim's fruit. It's not Robin's fruit. It's not Maria's fruit. It's not Emily's fruit. It's whose fruit? It's the Holy Spirit's fruit. And that's good because then it ensures that it, God gets all the glory for it, right? Yeah. Verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And again, we don't need to, in this moment, break this all down one by one and talk about each one of these. We've done a whole sermon series on the fruit of the Spirit. We just need to know in this moment that these nine, uh, these nine qualities we really reflect, reflect Jesus, and the Holy Spirit is all about you and I reflecting Jesus. And so these are the fruit he wants to work out of us. The Holy Spirit in our life is countering the works of the flesh replacing them with the character of Jesus. And we must see this because too often I have observed a brother or a sister, and I've, I've seen this in my own life as well. I think to myself, boy, if I could just get rid of that, if I could just get a hold of that in my life, if I could just address that sinful habit, abstain from doing that thing, then I'd be good to go. I've thought that way, and many of you that I've talked to, you will talk that way as well. But it doesn't work like that. 
in our Christian life. The works of the flesh have to be driven out, pushed out, and they have to be replaced, right? They have to be replaced. Remember, we're in a war. The Holy Spirit wants to take ground that our sin nature has held for a long time. To do that, he puts the fruit in place of that which he drives out. To push out the sin of sexual impurity in my mind, in my heart, I need the fruit of self-control, don't I? To put out the the sin of self first, I need the fruit of love for God and love for others. I need that fruit. To kill uh, envy or coveting in my life, I need the fruit of peace and contentment so that I won't want to envy or covet. And, I, and to chase pride out of my life. I, I need the fruit of gentleness and I need the fruit of humility. But wait a minute. Humility is not in this list. It's not mentioned here. Is it not a fruit of the Spirit? Is it? Is it a fruit of the Spirit? But it's not mentioned here. It's not mentioned here. It's a fruit of the Spirit. It's one of the most prominent characters of the person of Jesus, isn't it? His humility. So let's not get locked into these nine and be unable to see more. In fact, don't miss the words against such things, right? That's, his, that's Paul's way of saying, I've given you nine, but that's not the whole list. Paul's clearly letting us know there's more. Just like uh, it wasn't an exhaustive list when, we taught, when he talked about the works of the flesh. Well, this isn't an exhaustive list. So is wisdom... A fruit of the Spirit? Is, is um, thankfulness a fruit of the Spirit? Is spiritual courage a fruit of the Spirit? Would compassion be a fruit of the Spirit? Would truth-telling be a fruit of the Spirit? Sure, because those are all part of the character of Jesus, aren't they? And so any of that is certainly going to be part of the fruit that Jesus wants, to, that the Holy Spirit wants to work out of our lives. And at the end of verse 23, Paul adds this. Against such things, there is what? There is no law. And I am so glad that's included. You know, the Judaizers were so determined to push the Galatians into keeping the the code, keeping the Mosaic law as part of their salvation. And Paul says, listen, no law ever needs to be made when the character of Jesus is the fruit that you are pursuing. You can love God and you can love others as lavishly as you want and no one's going to write a law against that. Joy, express as much joy as you want. The joy of being a son or daughter of the king of, the, of, of heaven. Let that joy go. Nobody's going to write a law that says you can't do that. They don't need to. Goodness, kindness, gentleness. There's no limit to those things. Go for it. You are free in Jesus. Let the fruit flow. Right? There's no law. Paul then wraps up this section with verses 24 and 25. And those who belong to Jesus, to Christ Jesus, have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. So on your note page, think with me for just a a, a moment more. uh, Four practical ways to follow this exhortation to walk by and be led by and live in and keep in step with the Spirit. Four thoughts. Jesus said in John chapter 15, verse 5, on the night before he died for us, that he is the vine and we are the what? Branches, right? And he says, you cannot bear any fruit unless you stay what? Connected to me. You cannot do it. You can do nothing apart from me, he says. The same is true of the Holy Spirit. God gave him to us to work in us what we could never work in ourselves, becoming more and more accurate reflections of Jesus in a fallen world. That happens when we walk by and we are led by and we live in and we keep in step with the Holy Spirit. So here's some help for the daily walk. Number five there on your note page. First, constantly recall what happened to you that day on Calvary when you trusted in Jesus alone. Remember what happened to you. What does verse 24 say? And those who belong to Christ Jesus have what? 
They have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. The day that you gave your life to Jesus Christ, in a very literal way, your flesh was nailed to what? The cross of Jesus, wasn't it? Your flesh was nailed to that cross, crucified there that day. It no longer rules over you. It can have influence in your life, but it does not rule you like it once did because it has been crucified. Earlier in this letter, Paul wrote one of the most often memorized and quoted verses in all of Scripture. It's Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. Do you suppose that we could read it right off the screen together? Let's do that. I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And we say, Amen and Amen. May you and I never have this cross, this this image of the cross where our flesh died with Jesus that day. Let us never have that very far from our mind. It will help us walk in the Spirit. Secondly, we can't go wrong if we cultivate the habit of praying every day for the Holy Spirit to work out his will through our life, right? Can't go wrong there. Man, do you do that? Do you do that? Do you ask the the Holy Spirit every day to enable you to walk by and be led by and live in and keep in step with him? Oh, Abba, May your Holy Spirit lead me all the way today in every encounter, in every relationship, in every conversation, in every disappointment, in every frustration, in every temptation, in every opportunity to serve. Keep me in step with you today. Is that how you begin your day? Interestingly enough, in Ephesians chapter 6, where we're given a list of the armor that God has given us to fight the battle with. You know, are you familiar with that? the armor of the believer. It's very interesting that part of the armor is in Ephesians 6.18, prayer. Pray in the spirit at all times with all kinds of prayers and requests. Amongst the all kinds of prayers and requests is prayers for yourself. Prayers for the Holy Spirit to be doing these, these things that will enable you to live well for Jesus. And so you say, Holy Spirit, today may I be led by you, my eyes straight ahead, my ears attentive, a heart sold out for you alone. May people see Jesus when they look at me. Third, we greatly improve our chances of being led by the Holy Spirit if we fill our minds with what? With God's word, right? With God's Holy Spirit-inspired word. Psalm 119, verse 9. I've hidden these two, these two verses in my heart. Maybe you'd want to do the same. How can a young man keep his way pure? By what? By guarding it. There's the imagery of war. Once again, guarding my heart. How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. I, and then verse 11, I have stored up your word in my heart. Not in my phone. Right? Right? In my heart that I might not sin against you. It's not enough to have it in your phone. I know it's helpful, but it's not enough. You know, oftentimes, brothers and sisters, I I think we miss how critical the role is of memorized Scripture to us being walking in the Spirit of God. I, I, my heart and mind, I, I, I think of, the, of a well. Uh, imagine a well. When we take God's word and we hide it into our heart, it's like we, we put it into the well. And it's there. And then when we, when we face a temptation or a trial or a fear um, or we need to offer somebody some counsel, it, it's right there. The Holy Spirit comes to the well of our heart our mind, and he, by his supernatural power, he pulls that, that truth of his word up for us, brings it out of the well, and there it is to deal with that temptation or to offer that bit of counsel to a friend. But if we haven't hidden God's word in our heart and we don't have our phone with us, then the Holy Spirit runs to the well to get what we need, but the well is what? It's dry. 
And so how important is this verse? I've stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Scripture memory will keep us in step with the Spirit. And then lastly, number four, be a diligent fruit inspector. (laughs) Paul wrote the believers in Corinth and he said to them, examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Or do you not realize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you, unless indeed you fail to meet the test? And so we ask ourselves regularly, we ask ourselves and we ask someone who will be honest with us, hey, do you see love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, and a lot of other things that are the character of Jesus? Do you see those flowing out of my life? Inspect and see if there's fruit. An unexamined life is often a life that has holes in it, right? Yeah. So walk by the Spirit, be led by the Spirit, live by the Spirit, and keep in step with the Spirit. And this will be the surest and best way that you will live free and you will love well. Amen? Let's pray together. Oh, wow. Holy Spirit, thank you so much for the rich truths we've shared together. It's been a joy to walk through this passage with my friends. And and my heart right now in this moment is burdened for the one who perhaps is feeling enslaved to out-of-control sin. Um, Or maybe just the the, the dogging, unrelenting uh, temptations and and, and just the workings of the flesh and, and, and has been struggling because they just can't get on top of that. And maybe it's because they need you in their life. And if you be that person this morning who has not asked Jesus to come into your life, you've not given him faith. He paid your debt. He died for you. He's enabling you to have power over sin in the grave. And he just asks you to invite him in. If that's you this morning, do that. Say, Lord Jesus, I'm a sinner. I need you to come into my life. I want you to rule from now on. I want to be led by your spirit. I don't have that. I want that today. And then tell somebody you did that. Lord, for the rest of us, man, this this is a war. This is a war. Thank you so much for giving us everything we need to win. We'll say thanks in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.